Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We are going to head into some difficult and challenging territory. And I love that uh, on the one hand because I enjoy studying it, because I grow and learn and all the rest. At the same time, it is always fun to tell you that at the forefront of it uh, because it's challenging. <laughs> and you need to put your thinking caps on this morning, right? Uh, as with, with all, uh, anytime we get into the Word of God, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us these things are spiritually appraised. Uh, I could teach it till I'm blue in the face, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't impress it upon our hearts and teach us and make it applicable to our lives, then uh, we are just trying to figure something out that literally we cannot apart from Christ, right? And so in the midst of it, we're walking through this series in Revelation. We're in chapter 7. We've looked at the first six seals and just all the different things that are taking place. When we say apocalyptic, we mean apocalyptic. Um, And of course, we've looked at the rapture, the antichrist. We know the rapture is happening tomorrow because of the eclipse, right? You do know that, right? Isn't that? uh, Come on now. You really seriously? Don't you know? Now that I've said that, is it off? Is that, what the, is that the way, when we predict when it's going to happen, suddenly it's not going to happen at that moment? All we know is that we need to be ready, amen? I mean, we really do. Folks, the amount of lawlessness that we are watching in our culture today is remarkable. And that is one of the signs of the end times, which I believe clearly we're in. We got these last ticking moments of this clock, and I believe literally the rapture could happen at any moment. And the question is, are we ready? Are we walking in Christ? Are we walking with him? We have a great opportunity to share the gospel, not only right here, not only right next door in so many cases, but all across the world. And God is using Hoffmantown Church, the body of Christ, you in a tremendous Uh, way throughout the world. And folks, we need to be in prayer, we need to be sober, and we need to be walking in the Spirit by His power, by His strength, in His grace, loving one another as Christ loved us, and in the midst of it all, praising God because we know that He's absolutely sovereign and in control of everything. Amen? That's the point. So as we look at the 144,000 this morning, 144,000 Jews sealed unto the Lord sent by God into the world to evangelize the world. What an amazing truth and how applicable this is to our lives as well. We're going to look at chapter 7. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 and following in the midst of this. And I want to lead into this a little bit because what's amazing to me is the last statement or one of the last statements in chapter 6, before we get into chapter 7, One of the last statements in chapter 6 is, who is able to stand? Now think about that. We're in the midst of the sixth seal where not even the island or the mountains will be able to stay in their place. Earthquakes and all kinds of devastation have taken place. One quarter of Earth's population has been killed. We see the four horsemen released. We see the souls under the altar in, the, in seal number five. And in seal number six, we have devastation on this earth that is unlike anything this earth, this world has ever experienced. And the phrase, the idea is that we're going to go hide from the wrath of the Lamb because who is able to stand? And in chapter 7, what we have is, in effect, a parenthesis. 
We have an issue here where suddenly it's almost like the Lord said, well, I'll show you who can stand. And it's the people of God. It's the people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the 144,000. And it's the great multitude that are saved out of the tribulation. And why are they able to stand? Is it of our own strength? Is it of who we are? Is it because of who they are? Absolutely not. It's because of God's power, God's ability. It's because of who he is. See, in the midst of all these things, folks, we have this tremendous privilege of walking with the Lord. Clearly, chapter 7 is future. Clearly, revelation, most of it is future. We understand that. But at the same time, the application for us in our day and age is so essential to understand and applicable. How are we walking with the Lord? How are we day by day saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ? And in the midst of this apocalypse, in the midst of these first six seals, it's like the Lord puts a parenthesis in here and he shows us something about himself. He shows us about his mercy, his mercy. What's the difference between mercy and compassion? That's an interesting question, isn't it? When we say mercy, what do we mean? What do we mean when we say mercy? What is mercy? We've received mercy. What does that mean? Well, compassion, if I could put it this way, is that deep-seated inward turmoil when you see somebody in need. And you kind of inwardly groan. Oh. I was in Romania when I was 19 years old, and we went to a gypsy camp. And I'll tell you, this gypsy camp was, it was the worst poverty I've ever seen in my life. It was filthy. Uh, little children were running around playing in mud. And when we say mud, I'm not talking about like mud, I, like we would think about mud. It rains and so it gets muddy. I'm talking about trash filled with glass, filled with broken stuff. I mean, no parent would say, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And then when you're looking at little two-year-olds running around in this stuff, completely naked, no shoes, no clothing, nothing, and animals walking through and all the stuff that animals do, this mud was a mixture and it was a smell and it was a whole view. We had, we had uh, uh, apartments, supposedly apartments. They looked like they were literally straight out of World War II, had been bombed. No glass in the windows. They were hanging up sheets in order to just cover and have some privacy. People hanging out of the windows. I'm talking poverty that was shocking to me as a 19-year-old from America. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to preach. We're supposed to preach to these people, and we were supposed to tell them about our lives and give them our testimonies, and I'm thinking there is absolutely nothing in my life that even relates to this. I was so grateful that my two friends had to go first. <laughs> Because I was sitting there praying, Lord, what should I talk about? What? And you know what the Lord put on my heart? And it was so clear of the Holy Spirit. It was, tell him about my love. Tell him about my love. Tell them that I love them. Oh, man. <sighs> Wiped me out. My friend's talking about baseball. <laughs> they don't know what baseball. And I thank God, you know. See, at that moment, there was something in me that just, oh, how do we relate 
to these people? How do we even come alongside of them? And I could see the state that they were in, and I could see these children, and you wanted to gather them to yourself. You wanted to somehow come alongside and comfort them. You wanted to give them everything you had just in order for them to have something. That's compassion. That's from the Lord. But mercy, mercy is unique to that. Mercy involves compassion. Mercy obviously has compassion in it because there's that inward groaning of, oh, I see your need. And I recognize you're caught in sin. And I recognize there's nothing you can do to get out of it. But mercy is when God steps in and rescues you out of it. When does he do that? When we believe. <laughs> when we believe. See, in the midst of all this carnage, we have chapter 7, we have the 144,000, we have this great multitude, this worldwide revival taking place. And in the midst of it, we get to see God's mercy. Wow. Ryrie puts it this way. He says, from the severity of the judgments under the sixth seal, it would appear that not a single person could or would be saved. But even in the wrath of the tribulation, God remembers mercy. Wow. We could just stop right there, couldn't we? Think about that. Let that hit you. What have you been rescued out of? How did God see you? enslaved, in bondage, in filth, the filth of sin. And how did he come running when you cried out and said, Lord, I need you. Wow. Think about that, folks. In the midst of all this apocalyptic stuff, remember, God even knows every child. He knows every person, and he wants every person to be saved. No question. He's a big God, and he loves people, and he sent his son to the cross so that we have the opportunity to be saved, and in the midst of it, the issue is, am I willing to believe? Am I willing to be persuaded that Jesus Christ is who he says that he is? In the midst of God's wrath, his mercy leads to the salvation of many. Think about that. Three things as we look at the 144,000 in chapter 7. They're sealed, they're set apart, and they're sent. <laughs> sealed, set apart, and sent. My S is lined up, and boy, Amen. You know, sometimes it's, well, whatever. Sealed, set apart, and sent. John Walvoord starts it this way. He says, the remnant of Israel as portrayed here in the book of Revelation should not therefore be taken as meaning the church. Folks, when we talk about the 144,000, we're not talking about the church. It's rather a clear indication of God's continued purpose for the nation Israel and their preservation through this awful time of trouble. And I think that's absolutely essential to understand. When we talk about Israel, God is faithful to keep his promises. We know that out of Romans, and we know that the church and Israel are not the same entity. 
The whole point in many ways of Daniel's 70th week, the great tribulation, the tribulation, uh, the seven-year period of time is to bring Israel back to the Lord is the Lord's way of working in order to bring Israel back to himself because he's a covenant-keeping God. It's also to put an end to sin. It's also to put an end to rebellion. As you see these two tracks taking place throughout the tribulation. Well, the first thing is they're sealed. They're sealed. When are the 144,000 sealed? No one actually knows for sure. I, I would suggest that we can't dogmatically approach this particular passage and with absolute finality say, this is during, when during the tribulation this is going to take place. But I would suggest that it appears to me that in studying this, this takes place during the first half of the tribulation. There are many who believe this takes after the middle of the tribulation. I believe it takes place at the beginning or during the first part, the first half of the tribulation. There are several things that we know. First of all, chapter 7 is not necessarily chronological with regard to the first six seals. He starts out and he says, after this, after this, when you see the phrase after this, what he's simply saying is not in a chronological context. After the sixth seal, this will take place. What he's saying is, here's another vision that is going to be revealed to you. In verse 9, we have a different phrase. And he says, after these things. Now that is a chronological marker. In other words, in verse 1, what's being told John is after this, and he's going to be given another vision. In verse 9, there's the connecting of the martyrs with the 144,000 by the statement after these things because they are chronologically related. That's important to pick up on, and you can see it all through Revelation. When you see after this, it's just another vision. It's not necessarily chronological. When you see after these things, it's chronological. Mark that. Chapter 7 does not necessarily come, quote-unquote, after the sixth seal. Therefore, it may be an explanation of what's taking place during the first six seals. In other words, the first part of the tribulation. It is in response to this last statement in chapter 6, who is able to stand? And there's immediately given a picture of those whom God is for and who therefore are able to stand. When we begin to talk about the 144,000, there are some things that we do know, and I've kind of walked through that, and there's some things that we're not sure concerning the timing of. But here's my best shot at this, and we're all going to get corrected when we get to heaven. And please don't come and quote me from all the individuals. I have read them all, okay? I got more books on my desk than what any pastor should ever have to have. And I got more in logos than anybody, and I'm cheesing. I love to study, and I love to read it. I'm just simply saying I can pretty much guarantee you nobody knows with finality exactly what this looks like. And we're going to get corrected when we get to heaven. Here's my shot at it, okay? I believe this takes place in the very beginning of the tribulation. I believe the gospel will be proclaimed through the two witnesses as well as the 144,000 during the first half of the tribulation. And I believe the prophecy concerning Elijah 
one who is coming and I believe is one of the two witnesses or certainly one like him. John the Baptist was called Elijah but wasn't actually Elijah. He's the forerunner of the Christ. Well, in the same way, Elijah is said to be coming before the return of Christ, speaking of the tribulation. And you can see that in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. He says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, speaking of the tribulation. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Understand that in the midst of this time frame, this seven-year period moment, that I believe at the beginning part of it, the 144,000 will be sealed. They will be sent into the world in order to evangelize the world. And the two witnesses will also be doing an evangelistic work. One of them very well may be Elijah and or an individual that reflects Elijah. Malachi is hard to get around because he makes it very clear before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And we're going to look at the two witnesses later. They're killed in the middle of the tribulation and they've served for at least half of the tribulation. So I don't see how they're killed and then serve. Is that fine? <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> I think, I'm not laughing about them being killed, but you understand what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense. It strikes me that they were at the beginning. And it very well may be that God uses this individual that's like Elijah in order to share with the Jewish people and that there's a whole group of Jewish people that come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that group, 144,000 are sealed specifically for the work that God has for them. Well, starting with verses 1 through 3, God withholds judgment for a time. And again, he writes after this. So this is another vision that John is being given. It's not necessarily chronological to the sixth seal. All of this could be taking place during all of the seals. And I believe that that is accurate. He writes after this. It's another vision. The wind that is spoken of here as the angels from the four corners are holding back the wind is seen as a picture of God's judgment. You can see this in Daniel chapter 7 verse 2 where Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night and behold the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, speaking of humanity. You can look at Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 36 through 38, where the wind is also used to describe God's judgment. What we have here is a vision of the four different corners, the angels standing, holding back the judgment of God. And in the midst of this, why are they doing that? Because before the judgment of God is going to be poured out, the 144,000 Jews are going to be Sealed. They're going to be protected from the judgment that is coming, this imminent judgment that is coming from God. There's another angel that we're told about in verse 2, coming from the east with the seal of God upon him, telling the four angels not to harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until the bondservants, speaking in this context of the Jews, have been sealed. And again, the picture is of God's protection for his bondservants in the midst of impending judgment and then during the judgment which the four angels have been given the power to accomplish. 
When we talk about the fact that these individuals have been sealed, what we're talking about is they have been marked by God. And we don't know exactly what that marking may be. Later on, as we look at the uh, 144,000, as they appear in heaven around the throne room of God, around the throne of the Lamb, with the Lamb itself, it says that they have a mark, and the, the Father's name and the Son's name are written on their foreheads. And it may be that that is part of the mark that is upon them. They've been empowered to serve the Lord and they've been protected in the midst of this particular period of time in order to be kept from the judgment that is being poured out by God on the earth. So they're sealed. They're sealed for the sake of protection as well as that they are belonging to the Lord himself. In the midst of this, clearly they're set apart Fruchtenbaum writes this, he says, from this chapter, chapter 7, it should be evident, and I want you to catch this, because this has been confusing to a lot of people when we talk about the restrainer. Is the restrainer the Holy Spirit? And I believe that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. But does that mean when the rapture of the church takes place, which I believe is before the tribulation, that the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is taken out and has nothing to do with the events on earth from that point forward? Fruchtenbaum makes this statement, and I think it's absolutely dead on. He says, from this chapter, it should be evident that the Holy Spirit will be still at work in the tribulation, for the work of regeneration is his particular ministry. While the work of restraining evil is removed, evil is allowed to be unrestrained. Allowing the Antichrist to begin his evil rise to power, the Holy Spirit himself will strive or will still be in the world and will have an active ministry. Folks, people come to know Christ during the first part of the tribulation. The 144,000 come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and they're sealed under the Lord. They're set apart for a specific work that God has for them, and that can only take place through the active role of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the first part of this tribulation. People are coming to know Christ. We saw that the, the souls under uh, the uh, altar in, in chapter 6 with the seal number 5, and we see that in this particular chapter, chapter 7, we're going to look at it more next week, this multitude that is saved out of the tribulation. The Holy Spirit is the one that accomplishes that. He is the one who has the ministry of regeneration, of reconciliation, and he's the one moving in order in the midst of all these times, in the midst of all these horrific circumstances, in order to draw people to himself so that they would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's essential to understand. In verses 4 through 8 of chapter 7, we're told the 12,000 Jews will be sealed from each tribe. So sealing indicates possession as well as protection. There's an ownership of God over these 144,000. It is a statement of completion. These are Jewish men who have been saved by faith in the Lord Jesus and are sealed to indicate that they belong to the Lord. And you can see that in chapter 14. Contrast this with the mark of the beast. Contrast this with the mark of the beast where people who do not believe, unbelievers, are being marked as being owned or possessed by the beast, by the Antichrist. 
And again, we have these two moments taking place, these two tracks, God's uh, allowing of evil, Satan's desire to absolutely usurp God, create a false moment here, a false scenario as if somehow he is worthy of worship. You have the unholy trinity taking place. Satan is the father, the antichrist is the son, and we'll see it, the false prophet as the Holy Spirit, all of it false, all of it as something that Satan is desiring to set up in order to usurp what God alone deserves. In the midst of this, we see the Lord sealing these 144,000. They are set apart for a specific ministry. Some interesting points on the 144,000, and you get into this and you start to look at some of these things, just some observations. We know that Dan is one of the tribes of Israel. Dan is not listed here, and a lot of people have made a lot out of that. In fact, some people believe the Antichrist is coming from Dan, and I don't believe that could be the case. Go back about four or five weeks, listen to my sermon on the Antichrist, okay? But the point of the matter is, is Dan's not listed, and it may very well be because Dan was prone and marked with regard to idolatry. He worshiped false gods. But in the midst of this, again, you see God's mercy, you see God's grace. Even though they're not listed in chapter 7 of Revelation, they do receive an inheritance in the land as recorded in Ezekiel 48.1, though they are furthest from Jerusalem. I think that's kind of an interesting moment. Another point about the 144,000 is Levi is listed. Now why? Because Levi normally in uh, the lists of the tribes are not listed as being a part of those inheriting the land because their inheritance is Christ. They're servants of the Lord. But in this particular list, they are there and this may speak to the spiritual aspect of things due to the evangelization taking place, due to the service of the lamb, due to their uh, loyalty to the lamb. There's really no known reason as to why Levi is listed, but they are. And one last point on this. Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And in this list, Ephraim is not listed, and in their place, Joseph is. If you remember, Joseph is the father, and Ephraim and Manasseh are the sons. Normally, Ephraim and Manasseh are listed in the lists of the 12 tribes. In this particular list, Ephraim uh, is not listed, and in their place, Joseph is. And again, it may be because of the idolatry that took place uh, in the midst of uh, Ephraim and their lack of faithfulness to the Lord, whereas Manasseh was faithful for the most part. <laughs> so there may also be simply the exchanging of the two names which takes place in some of the Old Testament lists. I like what John MacArthur says on this. And again, I think this is important to understand, particularly in our day and time as replacement theology seems to be creeping in more and more. He says, this critical passage reinforces the biblical truth that God is not through with the nation of Israel. Though Israel failed in its mission to be a witness nation, though that will not be the case in the future, from the Jewish people will come the greatest missionary force the world has ever known. Wow. These 144,000 are sealed. They're marked by the Lord as the Lord's 
They are protected by the Lord, but they're also set apart. There will be 12,000 from each tribe. Some people say, well, how, how will they know whether, what tribe they're from? Folks, please. God doesn't need our genealogy records in order to figure this out, does he? Really? It's amazing what people come up with in order to destroy the inerrancy and authority of the word of God. I think God's bigger than that, don't you? I think he understands exactly who these people are and exactly what tribe they're from, and he's absolutely capable of making sure 12,000 from each tribe are going to be sealed and set apart under the work that he has for them in the midst of the tribulation time. No question. But lastly, they are sent. They are sent. They're protected from the judgments about to come upon the earth or are coming upon the earth, depending on your view of when this takes place. They're empowered to share the gospel. And I think the result of this we can see clearly in the last part of chapter 7, meaning the, the whole group, this multitude from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, from the entire world that are saved as a result in part of the ministry of the 144 thousand again just referring you back to verse 9 after these things indicates a direct relationship between the 144,000 and the saved multitude they are sealed they are set apart they are now sent in order to evangelize and the result is that there is a vast multitude that comes out of the tribulation that is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ you know, it's interesting, if you really read carefully about the 144,000, it never explicitly states that they were evangelists. But I think due to the connection in chapter 7 with the multitude that have been saved out of the tribulation, as well as the statement in Revelation 12, 17, which states this, so the dragon, Satan, was enraged with the woman, Israel, and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. I believe that's speaking of Israel and the Jewish believers who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan's anger that the Jews who at that time become believers in Jesus Christ, he goes to make war against them. What does he say? That they hold to the testimony of Jesus. They recognize the testimony of Jesus is true. And what is the testimony of Jesus? It is that he is God and he has come to save. And that it is by his salvation alone that anybody can come to the Father and be saved, be forgiven of sin, enjoy eternal life, be restored, reconciled, on and on. It's only through what Christ has done at the cross. I believe because the 144,000 have done these things that it's pretty clear that they are evangelists. And as MacArthur puts it, like the world has never seen before. Maybe in the Apostle Paul. Well, the ministry they participated in and it leads to the salvation of many. But I would suggest this for us, because the question is, well, how, how does this relate to us? I mean, this is future, this is 144,000, these are Jewish men. This is speaking of a time, the tribulation, the great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, that I believe we are going to already have been raptured and we're not going to be a part of. Some people believe that we're going to be a part of that, amen. The point of the matter is, is be ready regardless. I don't believe that. 
I don't believe the tribulation is for the church. But in the midst of it, I think we could say of ourselves as the church that we too are sealed. We too have been set apart and we too have been sent. Would that not be accurate? We're sealed. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. You didn't just listen to it. You were persuaded that it's true, and you believed. You were what? Sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, as the people of God, we're sealed. We are literally God's possession. We have God's protection upon us. Anything that happens to us is filtered through his hands. First, we are not under the wrath of God. That's been poured out on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. And so in the midst of it, we've been sealed. We've been marked in that way because we belong to the Lord. You know, the beauty of that is as we yield to him, as believers, as we walk with him, as believers, guess what? The love of Christ begins to be revealed through us, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. Now, do we just manufacture that? Do we just create that? Do we just wake up on Sunday morning and go, I'm going to love like no other person on the face of this earth today? <laughs> Come on. It's Christ in us. It's his love. Right? You go back to John 15, and apart from him, we can do what? Oh, we can do everything. We can, no. <laughs> we can do everything through him, but apart from him, we can do not one thing. We can't even love. We can't obey any of the commandments. We can't obey anything that God has said for us to do, even as New Testament believers. Why? Because it's Christ in us and through us that has to accomplish that. When does that happen? When we say yes to him. When we say yes to him, when we believe and walk in that faith, moment by moment, day by day, and then God begins to reveal himself through us. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We've been marked unique as the people of God. And as we yield to him, moment by moment, day by day, we get to have the privilege of not only experiencing him, but his life being revealed in and through us. We're also set apart. We're also set apart. We're called the church, which is the called out ones. Called out ones, right? But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul, in writing to Timothy, says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. What, what have we been called with? A holy calling, meaning we are set apart from unholiness. We are set apart to God, who is holy. And in the midst of our lives, we have the privilege of walking with him day by day, moment by moment, experiencing his love and his life. And in the midst of it, the decisions that we're constantly being confronted with are decisions of who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the things of the world or the things of God? Are we going to walk with God or are we going to walk according to the ways of the world? We've been called out, folks. We ought to look different 
Not because we make the decision, not because somehow we have the power or the strength to accomplish that in and of our own selves, but because Christ lives in us to empower us by his strength and changes us, conforms us to his image, and we are constantly in the midst of being transformed by the Lord himself internally, and then that begins to be revealed externally in the decisions we make, in the attitudes that we have, in the way that we treat one another. We've not only been sealed, we're his, but we've been set apart. We ought not look the same as the world. And lastly, guess what? We've been sent. Folks, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission is very clear. Go therefore, it literally should be as you're going and make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and the wonderful promise with it is, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Wow. See, the 144,000 unique group of people, 12,000 from each tribe, a people, a group that are saved during the tribulation, who have been sealed, who have been set apart, who are sent, and God uses in a phenomenal way in order to proclaim the gospel throughout the entire earth where many people going through all these cataclysmic events, all these apocalyptic events, begin to recognize the need of salvation in Christ alone. And in the midst of that, as a result of that, there's a great multitude that is saved. But folks, we too have been sealed, set apart, and we have been sent as you're going. Not everybody here is called to go to Myanmar. Not everybody here is called to go to Uganda. Not everybody's here called to go to Romania. But I can guarantee you, God has a plan for your life. And the question is, are you walking in it? Are you trusting him, walking with him, following him? and what it is that he has for you. Because it may be right in your own family. It may be right across the street. It may be the waiter or the waitress that you see at lunchtime in a little bit. God has a plan. The question is, are you walking with him? Do you understand that you've been sealed in him, the Holy Spirit of promise, that God lives in you and wants to make himself known through you? Are you walking in the truth of the reality that we have also been set apart, that we walk in God's holiness and... Do we understand that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are called to the ministry of reconciliation, and there are people all around us that have no hope, they don't know God, they're not saved, and they need the good news of the message of the gospel. Are we willing to share that? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, here's all, everything that I am, <laughs> and it's for you, it's for you. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 